Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. I have an announcement to make. You are not here to do church. You are here because you have a divine appointment with the maker and creator of the universe. The presence of God is here. It's wherever you are. Do you believe that? Oh, I sure hope so. Because once upon a time, Jesus said this, and I quote, if you believe, you will see the glories of God. And by the way, he said that right after he raised Lazarus from the grave. You know, Lazarus was dead for four days until Jesus showed up and told him to stop being dead. And then Lazarus just got up and walked out of his grave. And then Jesus looked at everybody there and said, did I not say, if you believe, you will see the glories of God. And even just a glimpse, church, is all we need and more than enough. And by the way, the Greek word for glories is the word doxa, D-O-X-A. And it's better transliterated to this phrase, the unspoken manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. So make no mistake, God is everywhere all the time. It's called being omnipresent, one of the perks that comes, which is being God, okay? But there are moments and movements and places and spaces and times and seasons where God's presence just seems to present itself in a thicker, more real, more tangible and manifest kind of way where you almost just begin to experience this invisible God via your five senses. You know those moments where you can almost just, you can almost smell the fragrance of heaven in the room. And I swear I can just taste freedom on my tongue and hear the sound of chains breaking and falling to the ground. And, and I see signs and wonders and miracles and I feel, and you, you can't tell me that I don't, I feel this undeniable joy and unexplainable peace regardless of circumstance and surroundings. That's what I'm talking about. If you believe, that's all Jesus said, the only prereq is that you believe. And I think you're here today or watching this or listening right now because you believe. Am I right about that? All right, if I'm right about that, then pray this with me. Where two or more are gathered, heaven falls in a different way. So let's do this. Jesus, we believe you are who you say you are and you will do what you said you will do. So Holy Spirit, come and wake our souls that when you move and when your people pray where once stood a wall now stands away. And even as we gather and even as we praise and worship and pray and preach your word that the bowels of hell are currently shaking in Jesus' name. And so all hail the Lord and all hail King Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Church, wherever you are, give somebody the wink and the gun, and then you may take a seat. It's good to be with you guys today. We are starting a new series called Five Reasons. Five Reasons, and that's gonna explain itself in a second, but really quick, um, our very own Sean Frickin' Johnson is gonna be here bringing the word next week, and so I suggest you cancel whatever you have to cancel to be here because it's, it's about to go down next week. Um, I might even fly in from Texas just to be in the room, okay? So I'm telling you, get to church next week. As for this week, 
I want to tell you five reasons why you should talk to God more often. Five reasons you should talk to God more. That is, by the way, the most basic definition of what prayer is, talking to God. Today, I want to show you why it'll change your life, why it's easier than you think, and why it just might be the key to everything your soul is looking for. And I wanna do that by looking at the life of King David. Y'all know who King David is? Okay, just in case you don't, let me just catch you up really quick. I'm on a clock, so I gotta do this in fast forward, so just no need to take notes, just tune in right now, okay? King David, once upon a time, in a... in a region not too, too far away on the other side of the world, a hill country region called Bethlehem. A thousand years before Jesus would be born, there was another young man, and his name was David. And David was the runt of his family. He was the youngest of all of his siblings, a real Kevin McAllister type, if you will. And if you wanted to find David on any given afternoon, you would just go to the pastures because David was a shepherd boy, and he spent all of his time tending to his father's sheep. And he would just talk to God all day and all night, and he would pray practice his little slingshot and probably cry a lot as he journaled in his color-coordinated diary and strummed on his harp, okay? Just basically an OG Corey Miller, you know what I'm saying? And one day, one day David kills a bear, and then a few weeks later, David kills a lion, and he does all that just to protect and rescue one little dumb lamb, which is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would say a thousand years later, I left the 99 to go looking for the one. And David went and got this one lamb and picked it up and said, little dumb lamb, I am your shepherd and the Lord is mine. And the lamb responded, bah. And anyways, around that time, David gets anointed the future king of Israel. All right, the literal, the legend, the prophet Samuel, the guy from first and second Samuel actually showed up at his house and anointed him and said, guess what, little buddy? You're the next king of Israel. And David goes, oh, this is awesome. I just can't wait to be king, right? So when is this gonna happen? Like this afternoon or is this tomorrow? Either way, my schedule's free. I just gotta go tell my sheep. And Samuel goes, pump the brakes, pal. Try 10, 15, 20 years from now. And by the way, it's gonna be a pretty rough 10, 15, or 20 years, but just keep talking to God the whole time because he will be with you wherever you go. So David goes back to the fields with his sheep. And meanwhile, a war breaks out between the Israelites, God's chosen people, and the Philistines, aka the bad guys. And every day, the Israelites would line up on this side of the valley, and the Philistine army would line up over here on this side of the valley, kind of like an awkward eighth grade school dance with the boys over here and the girls over there, and nobody wants to come to the middle except one Philistine soldier slash giant by the name of Goliath, who is nine foot three and 400 pounds of solid, pure muscle. And Goliath is just, man, he is an astronomical jerk. This guy is just the worst, man. Down in the valley, just taunting the soldiers and mocking and belittling the God of the Israelites, saying, hey, one of you losers, come down here and fight me, and we'll see how strong your God really is. But everybody's too afraid, and I don't blame them, including by the way, Saul, the current king of Israel, and all of David's older brothers. Meanwhile, David has been promoted, if you will. He's now a part-time shepherd
shepherd boy, but he's also the part-time water boy for the Lord's chosen army and the Israelites. And one afternoon, he just happens to show up to the valley with some ice-cold G2 sugar-free Gatorade to replenish the, the whole army, even though they don't really need it because nobody's really doing anything anyways. And he just so happens to hear Goliath mocking his God. And David gets righteously angry and he says, hold the phone. Like, we're just letting this happen. Nobody's gonna go shut this guy up. And all the soldiers say, well, look at him. You go down there. And David said, yeah, I will. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. You better believe I'm gonna kill this uncircumcised Philistine the exact same way. And that was just ancient Hebrew trash talk, this uncircumcised Philistine. And by the way, this is the Old Testament, okay? So David went and killed Goliath. But nowadays, if somebody mocks or belittles your God, just share Jesus with them. Maybe tip them a little more and invite them to church. That is the new covenant version of revenge, okay? So David goes down into the valley. And like he does, everywhere this guy ever goes, he just talks to God. He talks to God constantly. He's also trash-talking Goliath a little bit. And Goliath has to be over here from his perspective going, player, please, like, who is this five-foot-nothing, hundred-and-nothing, red-haired Hebrew boy with a slingshot? Like, is this real life? Is this really happening? Is that a, a smooth stone hurling towards my forehead at a thousand miles an hour? Honey, take a picture. Bam, I'm dead. And that's David and Goliath from Goliath's perspective, courtesy to Will Ferrell from Wedding Crashers. And for a select few of you, I dedicate that joke to you. So David, talking to God, killing Goliath, now becomes a folk legend. He is the guy, the boy who killed the giant Philistine. So he gets another promotion. Now he's the head, like, uh, the head uh, musician, not magician, but musician in Saul's palace. And what does he do in Saul's palace? I'll give you a hint. The same thing he did in the, sh in the fields, the same thing he did in the valley, which is just talk to God. And because he talked to God, he had favor with God. And because he had favor with God, he started to have favor with men, and because of that, people loved David, and he started getting promoted, and Saul kind of got jealous of David because everybody liked David more than they liked him, and eventually Saul went mad until one day Saul actually tried to have David killed, which caused David to have to flee and run away as a fugitive on the run, hiding out in caves for years, and guess what he did in those caves for years? You guessed it, he just talked to God the entire time until one day, fast forward a little bit, and Saul dies, and David is now the king of Israel, just like Samuel from First and Second Samuel said he would be all those years ago. And David, man, he is a great king. He's a great leader. He's doing the thing. He's kissing babies. He's shaking hands. He is taking names and kicking astronomical Philistine booty. You know what I'm talking about? And guess what he does the whole time? He's king. He talks to God the whole time he's king. And in case you're wondering, well, this guy sounds perfect. He's about the farthest thing from perfect. He's one of the most relatable figures in the entire Bible, which makes me love him. David had his list of flaws. In fact, one night, David is walking around on the rooftop of his palace, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath on the, on the rooftop of her house. And even though she's married to another man, David calls for her, sends for her, and ends up sleeping with her and has an affair with her. So this is on David. This is David's fault, but I will say Bathsheba has got to be the original desperate housewife because who takes a bath on a roof, okay? That's just my question. But David commits adultery. He murders the wrong people. He fails and falters and fails and falters, but even in all of that, guess what he does when he fails and falters? He talks to God the entire time, and David is living proof that you have not gone too far, that you are not too flawed to be used by God, by the way. If that's your excuse... 
I mean, David just took that excuse straight from you. You still got breath in your lungs. That means God's not done with you yet. We mean it here at Red Rocks when we say imperfect people pursuing a perfect God, going all the way back to King David. And so David repents really well. And David finishes his twilight season really well. And he steps down from the throne really well. He even dies really well. And he is a poster boy for what it looks like in any in every situation, whether you're in the pastures one afternoon, you're a, you're a king in a palace, you're, you're in the valley facing a giant or the valley of the shadow of death or anything in between. He is the poster boy for what it looks like to never stop talking to God. Amen. Y'all know who David is now? This altitude, man. Wow. I practiced that in Austin. Not here. One last thing you need to know about David. He was more content, more secure, more confident, more passionate than me and you. And the reason is because he talked to God more than me and you. I'm coming for you today. This message has been, has been kicking my butt all week, and now it's your turn, okay? So here we go. Five reasons you should talk to God more often. Here is reason number one. You should talk to God more often than you do, and it's this. Because prayer powers your faith. Prayer powers your faith. So by show of phones, anybody got one of these? And I'll accept Androids as an answer. However, I'm praying for you. And I forgive you for ruining all of our group chats with your green bubbles, okay? But I'll still, I'll still accept it. But here, can we, can we unify around just how amazing and stupid, crazy, awesome these machines are? Like, these are incredible. I can pull this out right now and FaceTime with anybody anywhere on the planet, just right now. I mean, this thing has, I just discovered two days ago, a, le- a level app. Like, what? Like, are you serious? This, uh, I can, um, let's see, it has Hollywood grade just photo and video. That's what it takes. I can right now, while I should be um, preaching a sermon, I can like pull out and do a video selfie. What up, Littleton Campus, Red Rocks? Yeah, I can do that, and later I can go post that, and anybody in the world can just check that out whenever they want to. I, uh, I was golfing a few days ago, and I downloaded a free golf course app, and it linked directly to my Apple Watch without me asking it to, and it told me my exact distance from the pin every step I took on that golf course. Not the green, the pin. And this, ain't, this wasn't Pebble Beach golf course, okay? I'm talking a $20 no-name municipal course in North Austin, and it told me the exact distance yardage. Didn't help me play better golf, but it was absolutely amazing. And by the way, if anybody does have a connection at Pebble Beach, DM me. Yet another amazing things that these phones do. And I'm not picky. doesn't have to be Pebble Beach. Any, I mean, Spyglass, any golf course in Monterey is completely fine. Just DM me. But here is my point, and I do have one, okay? As amazing as this machine is, it is useless without power. This won't work if you don't charge it. So follow me for this metaphor. The phone is your faith. God is the source. And then prayer is the charger that connects your faith 
to the source. I mean, Jesus said something similar to this in John 15, did he not? What did he say? He said, I am the vine, you guys, and y'all are the branches. So whatever you do, I can simplify it. The, The whole walk of following Jesus in one word, remain. Just remain in me. And I'll remain in you as you do that. Because if you remain in me, you can do all things through me. But if you don't remain in me, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Hebrews 12 also likens your life to a race, if you will. So shout out to Josh Kingry, who just ran the Denver Marathon last weekend. All right, Josh. Three hours, 56 minutes, 47 seconds. You beat my time by three minutes. So good for you, Josh. Great job. By any chance, you drank water or Gatorade, you stayed hydrated? Of course you did, because if you hadn't, well, you wouldn't be here today, okay? (laughs) Prayer powers your faith like water hydrates your race. So this basically, keep following me on this metaphor. This is a new covenant package that is yours in Christ Jesus. And I mean this when I say it is absolutely incredible. The package, the promises that are available to you because of Jesus as of 2,000 years ago, I'm talking the new covenant package. I'm talking the 7,000 plus promises from God to you for your life, even beyond salvation. I'm, like, I'm telling you, using your faith just for heaven forever, just for salvation, is kind of like getting a brand new iPhone and only using it to make phone calls, for real. There are 7,000 apps, aka promises, available to you, Christian. Prayer is what powers them. And I bet you anything, you charge this way more than one hour every Sunday. You ever forget to plug this in at night? That's the worst, right? What's the first thing you say to your friend when you get to their house? Hey, bro, where's your, you have a phone charger? You ever travel and forget this? Like, can you, can you say panic attack? You know, that's why you'll, you'll pay $50 for a new one at the airport, even though you got seven in your nightstand at home, just so you don't have to go two hours on a flight with a dead phone. It means a lot to us. So let me ask you this. How much battery does your soul have? And does anybody besides me feel like you spend way too many days, especially recently, in the sub-20% red zone? So this is the Verizon package, and it's great, and they're not even sponsoring this, and I'll, I'll plug that. But follow the metaphor. Through Jesus, you have the new covenant package. Salvation, heaven forever, 7,000 plus promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and prayer is the power source. And so I wonder, I legit wonder how many people eventually shut down and walk away from their faith simply because they stopped talking to God a long time ago. This is the power source. I wonder how many marriages got burnt out because two people continued cohabitating but stopped talking a long time ago. I mean, you know the divorce rate, it's a coin flip. Do you know, by the way, the divorce rate of a couple that attends church together a few times a month? It's a coin flip. Do you know the divorce rate of a couple that prays together every day? One in 1,152. Did you hear that? One in 1,152. And in case you just heard me say, pray with my spouse every day and you got super intimidated, like I'm not that spiritual, I don't have that much time. I thought the same exact thing as you until I met Will Davis. 
He's a pastor in Austin, pastor mentor of mine in Austin. And Will Davis has prayed with his wife every single morning for years. You wanna talk about the compound interest that adds up. And in case you're wondering, how long do they pray together? You thought I was gonna say 30 minutes? 30 seconds. Just 30, I mean, this ain't religious, you guys. This is a relationship. This is just you talking to God. No perfection, no show required, just you talking to God. You wanna know what the majority of my prayers sound like these days? God, help, (laughs) amen. I prayed that right before I walked up on stage. God, help Sean, amen. And then I text Sean, bro, I just prayed for you, for real. God, I'm anxious, will you you sit with me? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm grateful. Oh, I'm driving. Oh, Jesus, take the will. Do not, do not do that literally, unless you have a Tesla, I guess. Why do we pray? Why should you talk to God more often? Because prayer powers your faith. Dear Lord, we are 20 minutes in. That was the first of five reasons, okay. Hey, don't panic, I got this. God, help, okay. Number two, I'm gonna speed up. Prayer quiets your heart. Everybody say, ah. Prayer quiets your heart. So this is another Psalm of David, Psalm 131.1. God, I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't wanna be the king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. A quiet heart is calm and confident. And I don't know about you, but that sounds so attractive to me. So David was a man ahead of his time. He did not have infinity in his back pocket like we do, but David was a celebrity, right? David was a legend and not just like a saying, like have you met Schmidt, guy's a legend. No, I mean, he was a literal legend, David the giant killer, David the anointed one, David the king of Israel. And because of that, David had access to all the information in the known world just like you do today. And yet David seemed to limit his intake. Let me quote him again. I'm not trying, God, to be the king of the mountain. I'm not meddling where I have no business. I'll say it in the ESV way. I'm not concerning myself with thoughts and information and plans that are too lofty for me. Translation, I'm not God. And you might say, well, I don't think I'm God, but to an extent, I would actually beg to differ because you're human. And the human condition going all the way back to the garden is I could be God of my life. This was the disease of kings and this is today's temptation. And because of that, I just wanna bet I bet everything I have, a lot of us are feeling and experiencing something that I'd like to call omniscience fatigue. And I use that hyperbole, omniscience fatigue. We know way too much about absolutely everything. That disaster over there, this tragedy right here, everybody's opinion about everything. That drama over there, this drama right here, and the temptation in the name of nobility is to carry it all. In fact, our court of public opinion or social media kind of demands that you do. But what David knew, even as king, was this. I'm not designed to or asked to. I can't do that. Judah Smith made this point, and it hit me. My gosh, it hit me so hard. You ever pull out this phone, and your soul with exhaustion just kind of starts singing, I've got the whole world in my hand. I've got the... 
whole world in my hand. I've got the whole world in my hand. It sure feels like I've got the whole world in my hand. And I'm making this point because I take issue with the fact that Christians are just as anxious and afraid as everybody else. I'm telling you, prayer is how you go from thinking you can carry it all to letting God actually be the one to carry it all, amen? Because we feel this pressure. I was gonna say I feel this pressure because I'm a pastor, but I think this is a people, human thing. Feel the pressure just to carry the weight, to care about absolutely everything. I'm like, God, I've just, I hear about so many horribly difficult and challenging and painful things. So many prayer requests that are just excruciating for my heart to think about for too long in this volume, right? Oh, it's just like, they're, they're in pain and I'm in pain and I'm gonna pray for it and make no mistake, I'm gonna do what I can do. But at the end of the day, God, I just, I need to trust that you've got the families in Haiti. I need to trust you've got little kids in Afghanistan right now. Like I need to trust God that you have got the world in your hands, that you are holding the future of our country and hey, like I'm talking to somebody right now because I think you have way more of this omniscience fatigue than you would care to admit to any of us. And I'm telling you, prayer is how you offload that to God. Follow this metaphor. Prayer is how you click and drag everything on the overly cluttered desktop of your heart onto an infinite external hard drive that actually has the room to store it. You know what I mean? This is for somebody, you're following me. Your soul's startup disk is full. And you know what I'm talking about because it keeps popping up and giving you reminders every single day in the form of anxiety. And if I can just push you and challenge you a little bit right now, stop clicking, remind me tomorrow and stop worrying and calling it praying. It's time to offload some stuff to a God who has an ear that gives you undivided attention. He would love nothing more than to sit and to listen with you. If it's big enough to worry about, I'm telling you, it is big enough to pray about. If it's important to you, it's important to God. This is no religion allowed. Prayer has no prereqs. Bring anything and everything to God. Yell at him if you have to, to unload. Cry with him. David sure did all the time. I'm telling you, one hour of offloading to God in prayer will do more for your heart than one week at the spa. I'm not telling you when to pray. I'm actually saying there's no right or wrong time. There's no right or wrong way. We're talking about talking to God. All I'm here to say is you should do it more because he's listening. He would love nothing more in prayer quiets your Heart. Amen? Amen. Number three, prayer creates contentment. This is the very next verse in Psalm 131. Let's keep going. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Let me explain that. Like a weaned child that no longer needs milk, content in its mother's arms, which by the way is the region where milk is, 
And I'm not gonna biologically explain it any more than that. I'm just quoting scripture. But every time our baby girl Kinsley is hungry and she sees my wife, Sam, she starts reaching and crying. Like, I don't matter at that point. I'm chopped liver at that point because mama's got what daddy does not, okay? What what David is describing here is a baby being held by mom where there is milk available and yet it needs nothing. God, I know you have everything I need. And I know you're a good God who wants to give to me and provide for me and and bless me. I know that. But I am just so content in your presence. I actually need none of it. Prayer creates contentment. And that leads me to say this. Write this down. This won't be on a screen. Proximity, not provision, is the point of prayer. Not that provision's not important. That's the next point. But proximity to God is what completes and contents your soul in ways that provision from God never will. It was proximity, not the provision, that led David to be one of the most content men or women to ever walk the face of this planet. Church, the the richest person in the world is the most content person in the world. For contentment is the greatest wealth there is, amen? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what you're really after, And that is where there's proximity with God. That's where the fruit of the Spirit is found. You know the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, patience, love, self-control, a sound mind, kindness. These are the things of heaven. These are the things billionaires are trying to buy, but they can't. And all the while, via prayer, they're absolutely free for you. After all, the things of heaven are wherever the kingdom of heaven is. And the kingdom of heaven is wherever the king of heaven is. And the king of heaven is no longer in his grave. He's here with us, which means we have proximity and it all comes via prayer. Sam and I were on a cruise a couple years ago and one of the main events one night that was so marketed was a Harry Potter trivia night. And so we said, absolutely. And we show up to this giant ballroom with hundreds of Harry Potter fans. And not to brag, but we walk in and we're seeing groups of five, groups of 10, groups of 10 people on the same team. And it's just me and Sam. And we are, there is not a doubt in my mind we're not gonna win. (laughs) And we were right. Yeah, we killed everybody. Um, And you wanna know what the grand prize was for this? hyped up, glorified, marketed, grand event of Harry Potter trivia was, the grand prize was this keychain. I'm like, really, Royal Caribbean, really, this keychain? I was so mad until I calmed down when I remembered, wait a second, I'm on a cruise with my wife, I love my kids, but they're not here, I'm fine, okay? And, uh, and I realized um, the process It was about the process, not the prize. It was about the process, not the prize. The process of prayer, which is also the pursuit of God. The process of prayer or pursuit of God will do more for your soul than the provision that comes from that prayer ever could because it's the process that leads to proximity with God and it's proximity with God where the fruit of the spirit or the things of heaven are and that leads to contentment and contentment is the ultimate freedom because when I'm content, my soul can genuinely sing, Jesus, all I need is you and when you have that freedom and that proximity, then all the provision that follows is now house money. Provision becomes house 
money because I'm content with my maker. You were made to meet your maker, right, Mumford and Sons? I'll take it a step further. You were made for proximity with him. Remain in me as I remain in you, amen? Okay, let's keep going. Number four, prayer does what you can't. Prayer does what you can't. Now, we've talked about proximity. Here's provision. Why do we pray? We pray because it works. We pray because it, it attracts the God factor into your life. We pray because, as Mark Batterson would say, when you pray on a regular basis, irregular things will start to happen in your life irregularly or regularly. You know what I mean? We pray because prayer does what we can't. So here's 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel, from 1 and 2 Samuel, that prophet, he took his flask of oil and anointed David with his brothers watching, and the Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, and God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. The anointing of God is the difference, I guess, between what you can do on your own and what God can do through you, it is the difference between your power at work and God's power at work. This is the God factor, and it gets activated by prayer. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. That is so simple. I'm here to tell you it's not a trick verse. It means exactly what it says. You have not because you ask not. Knock and the door will be open. Seek him and you will find him if you keep seeking him until you find him. Think about it. When you lose your keys, how do you seek for your keys? Like, hmm. Nope. No. Like you, you call your friends to help you you tear the house apart. You check between every couch cushion ever because until you find your keys, you ain't going anywhere. And my question is, what if you sought God the same way that you look for your keys when you can't find your keys? What if you prayed like that? Could you imagine the power of God, the anointing, the God factor that could be opened and unleashed over your life? Seek first the kingdom and the God who knows what you need, who dresses the random lilies in random fields in more splendor than all of Solomon's glory, the ultimate blesser, the ultimate giver, the ultimate provider will give you exactly what you need. And you don't think he knows how to spoil his kids a little bit? You have not because you ask not means at the end of your life, there will come a day you look back and there's some things that happen and the only reason they happen is because you asked. And there's some things that didn't happen. And the only reason they didn't happen is because you didn't ask. When humans work, we work, but when humans pray, God works. Prayer can be the difference between a breakdown and a breakthrough. Prayer spans the gap between ordinary and extraordinary, and I'm not here to promise outcomes or mediate the sovereignty of God. That is way above even the Pope's pay grade. I'm just here to tell you, you should talk to him more. Because prayer works. It invites the God factor into your life and it does what you can't, amen? Okay, last but not least, team, you can come up here. The final reason you should talk to God more, you can be a kid again. I've been trying to get right here, this whole sermon. You can be a kid again. So it's October, it's the latter half of October, which means Halloween is upon us, the day all Christians tremble. What was your favorite costume growing up? Think about that for a second. Let me show you a picture. This was me and my brother Ryan. I'm four, my brother's three. Yeah. 
I'm a fireman. Ryan is underdog. Um, if you remember underdog. Come on, he's been an underdog ever since, am I right? I'm kidding. My brother, no, he's awesome. He's awesome. Look at the homemade costumes, though. My tinfoil badge, I'm telling you, my mom would be Dave Ramsey's hero, okay? The next picture, this is my son, Will, yesterday. He's Captain America. We just got him that costume, and uh, he can't take it off. And he's all about it, and I'm all about it. And here's, here's my point right here. You cannot convince that guy that he's not Cap. You can't. You can't convince him. Rewind the clock. You could not convince me I was not a fireman. You couldn't convince Ryan that he wasn't a puppy that was also a superhero at the same time, okay? When you're a kid, you believe with every fiber of your being that you are something, even though in reality, you're actually not. But when you grow up, all of a sudden, you have the hardest time believing you are something that God says you actually are. You are forgiven. Oh, you are chosen. Oh, you are more than a conqueror. Oh, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Oh, he is with you. Oh, he will never forsake. Oh, you're, you're not what your critics say. Oh, you're, you're not what the devil whispers. Oh, you are. You are what God says about you. And through prayer, what has always been true just becomes realized on the inside because you get to be a kid again. And in Jesus' kingdom, the height of maturity is the heart of a child. I used, to, uh, I used to get so worked up playing golf, like I'd shank a shot and then throw my club and cuss. I never do this anymore. Um, it was like one day there was, I almost got like a revelation from heaven. I swear it was like heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a birdie. Get it? I'll excuse myself. Um, it's, like, it's like the heavens opened up and God said, hey, knucklehead, you're not on the PGA tour. This is not Pebble Beach. This is one of the few areas of your life where it actually doesn't matter how well you perform. Calm the heck down and enjoy it. Something shifted in me and wouldn't you know, I, I play better golf ever since then. Now let me tell you how to pray better. I told you how I play better. Let me tell you how to pray better, okay? You don't have to perform for God. Not, not sure who I'm talking to. Calm the heck down and enjoy it. When you pray, you get to be a kid again. There's no need for fancy words or elegant prayers or sounding super spiritual. In fact, Jesus said something about not even liking that in the first place. When I pray, guys, I, I, here's the thing. I don't have to be a father. I just get to be fathered. When I pray, I don't have to be a pastor. I just get to be pastored. When I'm with God, I don't have to be a leader. I just get to be a kid sitting on his lap, receiving his agape, unconditional love. And so let me ask you the question, the question that has been, that has been wrecking me all week. And that question is this. I wanna leave you with this. What is God's facial expression towards you? You could say it this way. What do you believe God believes about what is God's facial expression towards you right now? It's been my experience, a lot of us think God's mad at us. And his facial expression looks something like, like you are responsible for the wrinkle line between his eternal everlasting eyebrows, like you did that personally. 
he's mad at you. Some of us think he's just embarrassed or like, why? Why are you the way that you are? Why are you not farther along than this? Or maybe it's the face of a manager or a boss that's going, come on, produce, produce. Heaven and hell, not a game, let's go. What is God's facial expression towards you? And by any chance, is your answer to that question predicated upon your performance this week? Back in David's day, it was based on performance. That's why David actually could not look into the face of God. Did you know that? Because this was Old Testament, Old old Covenant, and God related to people based on religion, do's and don'ts, and performance because there was something called the sin problem. And because there was a sin problem, David actually could not look full on into the face of God. Neither could Moses. This is why Moses had to hide in a cleft of a rock and just watch the backside of God as God moved past him. But church, we now live in a different era. We live in a new day, a new era called grace that is no longer based on our performance, but rather the perfect performance of Jesus Christ, who was murdered 2,000 years ago, but didn't stay dead. And in his grave, his body started breathing, and the earth started shaking, and the heavens started roaring as the sin problem was permanently solved and dealt with. And so the presence of God that once upon a time used to, used to be concealed behind a veil, the veil was torn and now the presence of God is alive and at work within you, which means God has permanently turned towards us. And God's countenance and facial expression towards you is that of a loving father who accepts and approves of you because when he looks at you, he sees his son Jesus, which is why he says to you the same thing he said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. This is my son. This is my daughter. And try saying this with a frown on your face. And I am well pleased. I am well pleased. Oh, if you could see his countenance, I'm talking about the unconditional love in his eyes towards you, the smile on his face because you bring him so much joy the beaming pride of the father of all fathers who has a permanent fixed face that is smiling in approval and acceptance straight towards you. Oh, the news is that good. The challenge is believing it, but it is that good. The face of God. It's a story in Matthew chapter nine where this woman who has the issue of bleeding For years and years, she seeks Jesus out and Jesus is on his way with Jairus. And I gave Judah Smith a shout out because he has taught me so much about prayer with zero religion attached to it because that stuff will stick. You know what I mean? And so picture this, just picture this in your imagination. Jesus and Jairus are going to Jairus's house because Jesus is about to heal Jairus's daughter when the woman with the bleeding issue comes from behind Jesus and touches his robe from the back. And in that moment, she experiences healing. And Jesus feels it in that moment, but he refuses to let that be it. Like I once heard Judas say 10 years ago, this forever rocked me and changed my life. He refused to let her get a blessing from his back. And one of the most crazy verses in the New Testament is this, Jesus in that moment turned around and faced this flawed and imperfect and broken law-breaking woman because sin was no longer an issue. And he gets down to her level and once again, try saying this with a frown on your face, daughter, be of good cheer for your faith has made you 
well. This is the face of God. And I guarantee you, she went on her way and she talked about that day a thousand times. But I bet you it had very little to do with a healing and a whole lot to do with the face of God that was right in front of her. So as we worship, like my boy John Clark says, I wanna challenge all of us to get our, our focus off of the hands of Jesus and what he can do for us and onto the face of Jesus, the face of God, just plain and simply for who he is to us. And make no mistake, he's the God of breakthrough. He wants your healing and your wholeness. He has no shortage of blessing to his words, not mine, lavish on you. Make no mistake, but what if, what if we got our eyes up to his face and just praised him and sang to him because he's worth it regardless of what he does. Because when you stare full on to the face of Jesus, you can't help but be different and you can't help but lay your life down in a new way, shape or form as some kind of offering. God, regardless of what you do in return. I am offering myself as a living sacrifice, like the woman from Bethany, Mary from Bethany, when she shows up, just looking at the face of God is the glory of Jesus. And she takes this perfume that's worth a year's wages and she pours it as an offering on his feet. She can't help that. I wanna challenge somebody in here to bring a new offering to God. You want God to do something new in your life? Bring him a new offering. He's not after last year's incense. He's not after what you've done before. He's after the new offering, the new sacrifice. God, I wanna let you into this part of my life. You've been standing there knocking. Come on in. I wanna confess this. I wanna go get prayer for this. I wanna give you my finances. I wanna lift my hands in worship for the very first time. I've been praying for fathers in the presence of their children and wives to lift their hands this week and surrender for the very first time as the ultimate posture of strength. That's been my prayer for friends to fall to their knees in worship in plain sight of other friends. They used to worry about their opinions, but now I'm staring at the face of God and I just can't help but give and offer everything I've got to you, God. I'm staring full on into the face of Jesus who is the glory of God, amen. Red Rocks Church, will you stand? Jesus, we love you so much. Oh, we love you so much and we bring our offering right now. We get our eyes off of your hands, regardless of what we need. We know that you're the God who knows what we need better than we know what we need. And so we seek first your kingdom and your face. And as we stare full on into the glory of the smile and countenance of a loving father, God, I pray that it would supernaturally change us from the inside out. I pray we wouldn't be able to help, but offer something new. Let our lives be that oil. Let our lives be that incense. Let our lives be that sacrifice laid down and you choose whatever it is that you want to do. We trust you. Why? Because you're our dad and you're good and we will never stop talking to you in Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Let's worship.